Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Paul Krishnamurti. Paul, thank you very much for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Paul Krishnamurti. Paul, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So, Paul, politicalgambler.com is, is your website, and I've, I've read a lot on there in recent times, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later on. Before we do, how does one get into the world of political gambling? Well, it is a kind of niche, niche uh, world, isn't it? So I was in the betting game from childhood. You know, as soon as I left school, I managed betting shops. I was a bookie. Um, I was a trader. I gambled literally 24 hours a day when I was young. And then I went to university in my 20s. Politics was my passion, what I was really interested in. I kind of grew up a bit, um, went to university, studied politics. And by that time, you know, having worked in the industry for years, I was a gambling expert already. And as I was graduating, um we had an election in the UK, the 2001 general election, and it was just the most amazing angle ever to be able to apply this new intellectual expertise I'd developed. The, the old one that I still had, because I still gambled all the time, so kind of like, you know, supplicate my student income. Um, and that election was just a gold mine, and it was like, I mean, I think bookies are a lot smarter now, but back then, really, you know, it was easy. And then straight after the election, there was a Conservative Party leadership contest. Same thing, massive angle, big win, you know, and it just kind of set me on that course. And then also what happened at that time was the creation of Betfair. So whereas I'd been a very analytical gambler since I'd you know, become an expert, it was, it was hard, hard work doing the research, you know, just having a look at the football on a Saturday involved going on teletext and looking at the odds for, you know, an hour, two hours, let alone placing the bets. Um, and then along came Betfair, and suddenly you didn't have to worry so much about bookies. You could trade with other people. Um, everything was instant. All of these markets that originally you'd have only got four bets on maybe with bookmakers now you could bet all day long back and forth you know you, something like the conservative leadership contest you know i was just backing and laying all five players um so that kind of set me on the path and then i decided to be a professional gambler it was clearly a better living than i was going to get in working in the industry um and 
I became a golf, you know, I traded golf, cricket. I mean, still to this day, the main thing that I do is trade cricket. Interesting. So you mentioned there you, you're an analytical gambler. On the politics side, take us through that. Is there a is there a data set that you capture yourself that you use? Is there analytics for politics, for, for want of a better term? How does all that work? No, I mean, there are indicators. There are, you know, polls are very useful. I mean, opinion polls get a bad name um, because people expect them to be exact predictions. They don't acknowledge that there's a margin of error. Um, but what's more, what the, the information that's buried deeper in polls, in sub-questions, can be very interesting, very useful for judging, say, what a candidate's weakness might be, might become in two months. And to be honest, when I'm betting on politics, it's, 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 I absorb all that information all the time because I'm really interested in it. And I think that the way, the key to betting in general, but it certainly applies to politics, is to be able to understand trajectory, the trajectory of events. So, for example, at this moment in time, we've got another Conservative Party leadership contest. I've been building up a position for about two years on this, based on the fact that for all the speculation, for all the ups and downs over that period, there's certain fundamentals that are going to be in play in 2019 or 2020, whenever that came up. And they've absolutely come right. So now I'm sitting on a better position. Um, so I'm using very detailed information. For example, in that case, for example, it was about Brexit will define the Conservative Party leadership context. So what did run for all the candidates? How did they vote in 2016 on Brexit? If they voted for Remain, put a line for them. Now the field down dramatically. And that's still the case now. As someone who absorbs a lot of the information... Yeah. How do you develop ideas or approaches to filter out some of the noise and, and try and find the different signals within all of the all of the political discourse that exists? That's a really good question for filtering out the noise. Um, to be honest, I kind of like the noise. <laughs> I, I mean, I follow I, my Twitter um, list, my Twitter timeline would amaze most people. I follow everybody, you know, both extremes. So I, I see all the madness all day long. The only way you can, you can filter it is by following over a long period of time and understanding who's real and who's fake, which information to trust. You know, there are certain polls that are just clearly paid for, for example. Yep. Interesting, because I, I always talk to different people about what level of understanding is needed or required to be able to handicap a sport or even handicap politics. Do you think it's something that someone with no interest and no understanding could get into as easy as something like golf, which you obviously are involved in or something like cricket or basketball or something like that? Or do you think it requires some in-depth knowledge of the, I guess the fundamental nature of politics, some of the cyclical aspects that come with it? Uh, absolutely. Because um, one of the, I think one of the mistakes that people make with politics and, betting and predictions, is that they fight the last election. They look at what happened in the most recent election or maybe the most recent two elections and say, oh, well, there's a trend. It doesn't really work like that. In reality, politics changes every day. Each election is unique in its own way. 
there are different factors in play. You can't simply look at a result four years ago and assume that all the same dynamics will apply. Like, I mean, for example, one of the major things that has driven all the elections in recent years has been turnout. So if you took youth turnout, um, and when I say youth, I mean kind of under 45, in certainly in America and in the UK, it was historically low. It was it was awful. I mean, the parties of the left who need that vote were terrible at getting their vote out. And that was really through right until um, the Trump election, through Brexit, through the 2015 UK election, and then uh, Trump. And so if you were looking at that as a model, you'd say, oh, well, the turnout amongst 25 to 34 is going to be 39% or whatever quite out of the top of my head. In reality, what happened is because those events in 2016 were so dramatic and newsworthy, um, ever since then, youth turnout, that group under 45, has soared everywhere. So we've had elections in both countries since, and in both cases, the people using the 2016 prediction models have got it wrong. So I'm I'm interested in you mentioned some of the the recent uh, events the the Trump election or Brexit and some things like that and you use the words dramatic and newsworthy I think that's uh, potentially an understatement yeah, there's there's seemingly this polarization going on right now yeah how much of what you do has to be taking the temperature of the public of the people of the the climate as it is versus digging into the data can is there a crossover that sort of works well or do you have to say look you know that trump video that came out is seemingly going to derail everything however my gut feeling is that this guy you know nothing's going to derail him and therefore i'm going to undervalue that video which was or, or the recording which was obviously for anyone else any other mere mortal that would just not fly well trump i mean trump is fundamentally different i mean um i wouldn't have necessarily said brexit is all that unpredictable or was that unpredictable? Um, or is moving forward, people are quite solid in their views on that. Trump is like the biggest loss of my career, you know, by a mile, easily the worst mistake I've ever made. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, you use it since about like the relevance of videos. I think up until 26, up until that election, most serious political observers thought that if and when Trump was exposed or had a total meltdown, he would lose some of his base, that normal rules would apply, like the pussygate tape being the most obvious thing. The polls did fall dramatically that weekend when that video came out to about, you know, he went down about 36, 37, you know, you were looking at landslide. But in reality, I think, it, you know, it lasts two days. The, the thing that's changed and the thing that we're all having to adapt to is that the news cycle is just insane constantly. No one can remember what happened this morning. You know, scandals just don't hurt like they used to because it's just noise. So let's jump over to the betting side then with that in mind. It seems like a good strategy, or at least a not a terribly poor strategy, would be to just bet when someone's at a low and then lay them at the top. Obviously, it's not that simple, but take us through some of the, the thought processes on the betting side that go through your mind. Well, 
Yeah, with politics, obviously the bet the back high lay low strategy always makes sense. Um, it's not an easy thing to find a range with though. Um, if you were to take say the current political markets that there are, um, say the Democrat race or the um, Tory leadership. Um, I don't necessarily think there will be swing rounds as such. I think you might get an outsider, but I think you're, you're basically the next stage of those races is just picking the picking the candidates out who will be in the top three. Get on them now, and in about three months, their odds will have collapsed. Um, so I don't know that there'll be much swing. But with regards back high, low, low, that's much more of a sports strategy for me. So, for example, with cricket or with golf, the very natures of the sport means uh, it, the, the thing moves back and forth. Baseball would be another one like that. Run us through, generally, for those that aren't aware of the different types of markets that are available. I'm guessing it's probably very different when you were betting the 2001 general election to today, but I guess just over that period of time and where we're at now with what you can actually bet on, is it as deep as you know the Electoral College and, and even different counties and things like that? Oh, my words, everything. So, I mean, yeah, going back, it really wasn't much. Now, so let's, let's, take, so let's take the American election. So at the moment, there's only a few markets, and they are to be the next president, to win in 2020, um, Democrat candidate, Republican candidate, um, gender of the winner, um, winning party, right? Once it starts, you know, in a few months, it just goes, it's just gambling heaven because um, you get the primaries. So we start off with the Iowa caucus. We'll have each side who's going to win on each side. We'll have um, the percentage of, you know, margin of victory. Then you'll have, move on to New Hampshire a few days later. And so you've got 50 different primaries. So all of those are good individual betting heaps. And they're amazing, actually. They're, they are amazing. Talking about the back high, lay low strategy, that's the one time it worked. When the results are coming in on CNN or wherever, the live results, the market just goes back and forth because people don't people overreact to one particular county voting one way or not. Um, so you've got live, you know, six, seven hours worth of results betting on every single primary. Then when we've done the primaries, we move on to the general. And again, you've got betting in each state. You'll have margins in each state. Um, you're betting on the vice president. That's a good one. I had a nice winner on that last time with Mike Pence. There'll probably be some betting specials even. I mean, when the TV debates happen, there'll be all manner of specials, especially with Trump. You know, there'll be how many times Trump says fake news or something like that. When you talk about those different seemingly independent uh, markets, let's say, whether it's Iowa, New Hampshire, and all the way down the line, are they more interconnected than we think uh, in terms of betting markets and, and making money betting them? Or, you know, for example, can you, can you bet on a, a whole bunch of different ones that might be correlated in some sense? Uh, and if you get one right, you can get all of them right, versus if you get one wrong, you might get a handful of them wrong. 
only in the specific case of a bookmaker offering that special not you wouldn't be able to um back the related results but they've all they all they do affect one another because they're not all on the same night. So, I mean, you'll get a night like Super Tuesday when you've got about 15 or 18 different states voting and you couldn't link them up. But, for example, um, so we, let's take those first two, Iowa and New Hampshire. Now, historically, nobody has ever won the nomination without winning one of those two. So you often go in with about, take last time with the Republicans, there was 18 people in the first in, on the Iowa ballot, um, and everyone knew it would be between Trump and Cruz. But the real betting angle was working out who came third, because the person who came third, their odds were going to collapse ahead of New Hampshire a week later. And likewise, there are, if you take, say, there was there were states that Trump won in the nomination when Trump was still not necessarily seen as a certainty by any means, but there were certain key states he won that due to the demographics in that state um, and the polls, there was no way he could, but that would definitely mean that he would go on to win seven or eight more states like that or more suitable states. That's interesting. There's, there seems to be some form of game theory involved in this where you can potentially benefit from a betting perspective. Absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, the, that, I mean, hopefully this Democrat race will be exciting. Hopefully we won't have Joe Biden running away with it. But if, like the Republicans last time, there's five or six of them still in with a realistic chance going into next year, that could be just a brilliant, brilliant betting hate. Take me through what's possible from a betting perspective in terms of the volume and liquidity you might see on the exchanges, are we talking, you know, $25 maximum bets with, with bookies or is it $2,000, for example? Take us through some of the... Uh... Oh, right. Yeah, so it does depend on the, on the, on the level of um, interest, obviously. Something like a presidential election, it's insane money. You know, it's hundreds of millions. Um, and that, and if, if, you, if, if you go, say, on the Betfair candidate market from about November there will always be a few hundred up on either side, at least. With bookies, again, they'll take a few hundred on that. And um, with regards to the primaries, so, you know, again, let's stick to Iowa. Iowa, you'll be able to get a bet in the thousands on, definitely. And is that close to the date, or is it? Is there a rush of money at the end? In running, even. There yeah, is, okay. Close to, it will be, I mean, Iowa will be a big market for about three weeks it happens and then there'll be lots of him running betting some of the things i mean there was in the 2012 iowa um race it was one of the maddest betting heats ever i think they both went 101 on betfair um romney and santorum and it was and it ended up being a recount and the result reversed after about a month <laughs> But again, it was like absolutely mad trading all night long. They were just back and forth, back and forth with every county. Rethink the way you see sport. Every action or play can be represented by a series of numbers. When you analyse this data, patterns begin to emerge. 
If you follow these patterns and develop systems, you can play the game within the game. Betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. So I want to get your perspective on how you are approaching the road to 2020 and given we're, what, the middle of 2019 now, let's say, mm-hmm. what type of things are you doing this far out to prepare yourself to potentially make money on that election? Okay, so, um, well, first of all, um, I have been wholly, consistently against Trump since 2016. I was before, but I really am now. Um, he, I don't think he's got a prayer. I don't think he'll be the candidate. I, if he is the candidate, he'll lose badly. But I don't believe he will be on the ticket. I think that he will retire, resign, cut an immunity deal. There's a lot. It's a it's a constant, ongoing process, and he could well be impeached or he could well resign. So I'm very against Trump. I think that even if he is the candidate, he will be um, consistently eight to ten percent behind in the polls against whoever the Democrats pick. I mean, the polls in America are remarkably solid now it's extraordinary i've never seen anything quite like it you on virtually any poll or related poll trump's in the low 40s maybe high 30s approval and there's 54 57 percent who say they will not vote for donald trump they'll vote for whoever runs against donald trump and i think that 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 will be blindingly obvious to in the polls and the betting by you know the start of next year and he'll be a much bigger price than he is now. But that's assuming he's on the ticket. So first on that side, I've had a small bet on, him, on the Democrats impeaching him in the House at 4-1, to one, which I think is becoming likelier by the day. But the main sort of other bet I've had with that is I've just been playing around on some outsiders, Republicans, alternative Republicans. So, for example, Ben Sass is 1,000 to 1. President. If Trump wasn't on the ticket, Ben Sass put his name into the ring, he'd be second or third favourite on their side. But Nikki Haley's 350 to 1 for the presidency. She would be favourite. In, in Trump's absence, she would be a short price. Um, and these people could win. And then on the Democrat side, um, I've got a range of bets which are kind of like they're in the, in, in the mix. I made some money at Beto O'Rourke as he came down, but then I've given some of it back because I do rate O'Rourke, but he's really drifting out at the moment in the betting. But I think he's actually, he would be an interesting bet at about 33 to 1. Um, I'm very anti Bernie Sanders. I uh, don't think he will, I don't think he's got a prayer. I think the Democrats will vote for a relatively moderate candidate, relatively safe candidate. And Bernie's toxic with a lot of Dems now. But I'm not heavily into anyone. Uh, I'm on Amy Klobuchar, but I've kind of given up on that. As I say, I mean, they're all decent results because I've laid Sanders things and money I made out of Beto. But right now, if I was looking at it, I'd probably say Beto's a better, about 33, 38. Interesting. And then as we get closer and, and through the process, are you... For example, the debates, are you watching each debate four or five times to pick out everything you can, or are you just reading the newspaper the next day and getting a sense of where everyone's at? Well, I mean, I watch all the debates, absolutely, and generally live tweet them. Um, well, I mean, we'll see what times I'm living on next year. But, you know, I, I consume so much information via Twitter. 
so many news links. You know, it's kind of like I follow every news organisation going, so I kind of get breaking, I'm getting everything breaking regarding the race. So the main thing is really that, and then the like, the, the important stuff like debates. Are there any other approaches that you're aware of that friends or colleagues or other people in this space are employing that don't involve just uh, consumption of so much news media and information and trying to mm. devise what's useful in that sense? Not really, no. I mean, I tend to think, I have to say, I I used to think that political betting was quite a rational concept and that because it used to be, but I think that's because things were just more predictable. But certainly on the American side, I think that the betting markets as partisan as society you know if the, the during the midterms again like you just had a wall of people saying trump will win trump will win trump can't lose there's a, a caravan is the most important story in everyone's minds and they would not listen to anything and they held that price up for a long time and i think that's what's going on now because there's no evidential justification backing donald trump that 2.1 for the presidency when every poll in the swing states is terrible, abysmal. And it has been for two years. You know, he. I think people misread the 2016 result. I think that people have read that as a victory for Trump. It was defeat for Clinton. You know, Trump didn't get a big, big vote share. He won by a very, very narrow margin. And she was... The she also had huge negative approval ratings. But as long as the Democrats put up someone who does not have negative approval ratings, they will beat him in those in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. And on the basis of the turnout that's happened since 2016 in the midterms and in all those special elections, he can't. He, he needs new voters. He can't. He won't. The total he got in 2016 isn't enough. What is your sense around the efficiency? the efficiency of the markets in terms of politics over the years, have they have they got to a point where they're really efficient with the Nate Silvers of the world and, and people are able to or struggle to, to grind out a profit? Or do you think there's still a, a wide gap there so that someone who dedicates a fair bit of time can potentially uh, make a bit of money still in the, in the world of political betting? Again, I think it's changed. It used to be, I mean, if you went, went up to 2016, the favourite on Betfair, 100 days out, won every single American or British election. Um, there'd been a bit of an upset in the 2015 UK general election, so maybe that was the first indication of the change. But since then, we've had Brexit, which was 10 to 1. We've had Trump, who was I had 5 to 1, 10 to 1 on the night in running. Um, the last UK general election was absolutely crazy. I mean, uh, conservative majority was uh, 10 to 1 on that got beat. Uh, last night, yesterday in Australia, extraordinary upset. Yep. Absolutely massive, massive odds. So, you know, clearly things have changed. And as I say, I kind of almost think maybe everyone's just throwing money at it. Um, emotionally more and more now maybe not so much emotionally but I think what's really important is about where you're getting your news from because I think there are um, fakers out there trying to drive the markets if you take during that 
2016 election. One of the things that I um, I look back on, I wrote a lot about it at the time, well, notes about it, was when Clinton collapsed in New York, the market went mad and people were backing, for the next few days, they were backing Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden at stupid odds, like really stupidly short odds. Um, you know, Biden just could, they'd, have to, they'd already sent out the ballot papers. That's like I say to everyone, in the unlikely event that something really is happening here, then it'll be Tim Kaine because he's already on the ballot. But it was all being driven by fake news. People were going, oh, look, it's proof. She's not alive. She's been dead for two years. It's a fake. And all this. this look, look at these pictures of her as a double. And I think that was just driving the markets. I think I watched the Hannity, Sean Hannity, um, saying that he had exclusive information that the Democrats were meeting that morning to install Joe Biden. And the markets crash. Bizarre, bizarre world sometimes. So it's a bizarre, It is a bizarre world, yeah. Do you mind comparing and contrasting politics and betting on politics with some of the stuff you've done with golf? Is it vastly different in many respects or is it scarily similar in other respects from a, a high-level bird's eye view? No, I'd say it's very different because I think fundamentally with golf, it is an analytical business. It's a statistical business. Um, I think if you took kind of like 20 professional golf punters or tipsters, put them on a table on a Monday afternoon and make them pick three golfers for, for, that, for that week, there'd be an extraordinary amount of crossover because the signals are actually quite obvious. You know, um, for example, of course, like Augusta, if you're not a big hitter, you can't win. Unless, okay, in theory, you do get the odd short hitter content. Look at the leaderboard every year. You know, it's astonishingly biased towards long hitters, as is this course this week, left page black. Or you'll get the weeks when they're playing on a 7,000-yard course and there's a whole range of about, say, 20 players probably who are quite high class, really, but they just don't hit it long enough. So you follow those 20 players on those courses, you'll do pretty well. It's a You can work that out statistically. You don't get things like that with politics. You know, you've got to actually know precisely what's going on, really. Um, cricket is another sport that I bet on, which, again, it's, it's very data-driven. Average scores of the ground, size of the boundary averages for each player, strike rates, that kind of thing. So I'm sure you get asked all the time uh, from other bettors or other people who might trade cricket and golf or tennis or rugby or NBA, whatever it might be, and they're looking at jumping over to politics. What do you tell to someone who's maybe professional or semi-professional already at other sports and are looking into politics? Do you know people don't ask that, actually? You'd be surprised. I think read, research follow a range of sources, you know, follow news from multiple countries, multiple sources. I don't think there's that much you can teach regarding the actual maths of the mathematical strategy. I think if you know your politics, then the people that, these people that end up as party leaders, for example, like Dominic Rabb will be the next Tory leader, or Michael Gove, these are, these are um, commonly thought among, mentioned amongst people who know about politics, whatever their persuasion, because they just they know that their 
rising, you know. Um, but the average person wouldn't necessarily know that unless they're reading a broadsheet newspaper that discusses politics in some kind of depth. And one final question for you. Are there things that, certainly in the political world and the gambling side of the political world, that people should look to avoid or there's certain traps that people might fall into relatively easily? Again, again information. Um, the worst thing you can do is keep reading one set of polls, one, you know, one particular source. I mean, I mean, a really, for example, some people might, I've, I've known some people say, well, if you follow the same sort of poll, it's kind of like a tracker because they're in. Now, that's true, but then what about if the poll's got 5% error built into it? So I tend to kind of look for median. You know, if I'm looking at polls, I tend to sort of consider the median and then maybe give an extra percentage on instinct of what's actually happening. Tell us about politicalgambler.com. What's your, what's typically been its its purpose in the past and what are you looking to do moving forward? And I guess with that, is it okay for people to to follow you on Twitter and, and send you some questions oh, there? Oh, absolutely. Or? Yes, yes. At Paul Motti is my name on Twitter. Yeah. So Political Gambler, I, um, I mean, I really just started it to accompany my um, trip to America in 2016 because I went out there for the whole year. Um, and the plan was to write a book, which I've written a lot of, but basically I haven't stopped since 2015. And it's kind of gone mad. I mean, that site, um, as I say, it was just a place to put my published work, or to collate it all. And, you know, we're up to about half a million words now, all those pieces, in the last four years. And, I mean, prior to that, I used to write about politics, but it was probably a couple of times a month. It's like three, four times a week at the moment. There's so much going on. So I'm, I'm just using it for that. Um, I'm, I haven't worked out my plans for next year yet, precisely what I'm doing, but um, I'm hoping to do some more analysis and some media work and enjoy the year, hopefully get over there for some of the primaries. Sounds good, Paul. Uh, on a topic I'm certainly not deeply knowledgeable at, it's, it's great to chat to someone like yourself. I, I certainly wish you... All the very best, and, and I'm sure people will follow along to see how, how things go from your perspective. So thanks for uh, shedding some light into this world for us. Yeah, thanks a lot. Pleasure talking to you.